very much for everyone who's sent uh, questions in. If I can invite the panel up, that'd be great. While we're getting this sorted, if you just want to say hello to someone, that'd be, be friendly. Well, you're not very friendly bunch, are you? Because I can't hear you saying hello. We've got four or five. There you go. Super. Super. So we've got some, we've got some, uh, some ground rules. We, uh, when we started, when Giles said about doing this and sort of like fed the uh, idea out, we were a bit unsure about how it would go, how people would uh, react to it. So we've got some rules is that None of us are to fall out. Everyone's to leave here happy. And we really want to ensure that if you do leave questioned, confused, angry, please come and talk to us. We don't want anyone to leave anything but as happy as they normally would. We've got some questions um, that have on, on two different subjects. So they came in and we kind of put them into two headings. One was um, about us as a church, and the other one is the church and society. So we've, we've split it down, and actually today we're going to que- answer the questions about us as a church, us as Lighthouse, um, as a leadership, as an organization, as uh, who we are. So that's what we're going to answer. But we do promise to answer all the questions that were sent in, um, and Giles is going to do a podcast um, or a written reply um, with various people's opinions and input into it so that you can get a covering of all the questions if your question that you asked wasn't answered. Okay? Before we start... Can we go along? Can you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do? And, uh, yeah, go. Thank you, Thomas. I'm Giles uh, Cornell, the lead pastor of the church here. Um, we, Ros and I took over in 2007, so we've been here a little while. Um, but, of course, the church has been going since the early 80s, and I look out in the congregation, I see some people who have been here since the 80s. And, uh, yeah, that seems a long time ago, right? Um, but, yeah. Giles, love what I do here. Hello, I'm Julia Pongeo. I'm married to Nat. We have two children, Natalie and Lissa. I have been in the church since 1984, and I was very, very, very young. Um, <laughs> uh, I am a missionary sent by Lighthouse to Laos and Southeast Asia, and I'm also a nurse. I'm Joseph, uh, married to Constance. We have three children. Um, I've been coming to Lighthouse since... 2002. Uh, I'm a pharmacist, member of pastoral team in the church here. I'm also a counselor and a therapist. Hello. Hello, my name is Constance and my husband is Joseph sitting beside me. Uh, I'm a biochemist. I'm a technical uh, and operations manager. I've been coming to Lighthouse since uh, 2005 and a member of the pastoral team. We are blessed uh, with three lovely kids, and uh, yeah, we give God glory. Uh, uh, um, oh, my name's Andrew, but everyone calls me Andy. Uh, so I'm married to Liz, and I've got five children, and uh, I work in Ely at the college, and I've been at the Lighthouse. I think Liz and I and, and the children joined here about, uh, I think you started in the April of 2007, and we joined the church at the back end of August in the same year. So almost as long as Giles has been pastoring here. Fantastic. Thank you. So it gives you a bit of an idea of these guys, their backgrounds, and uh, 
yeah, hopefully as they answer the questions, they'll kind of have that input as well. So we're going to uh, jump straight in. And uh, thank you to whoever sent this question in. It says, do you think that removing the traditional and much-loved practice of communion from, your, uh, sorry, from our church service has impacted unity within the congregation? That's part one. Part two is, having removed the communion, how are we teaching the younger generations the importance of this practice? And the third part is, will you bring back communion to our service soon? Okay, so breaking it down. Part one. Wow. Do you think that removing the traditional and much-loved practice of communion from our church services has impacted unity within our congregation? No. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I had a question earlier. Is um, What is communion? And maybe, maybe some people don't know what we mean by that. Other churches call it Eucharist. Um, it's the remembrance of what Jesus has done with his body and blood. Um, you know, it's what Jesus did the night he was betrayed. And they took bread and they broke that bread together. So a lot of places call it breaking bread. Um, so that's, that's what that is. Um, so we've, uh, it's interesting, you've used the word tradition. And traditions are uh, interesting because people would consider us a traditional church, I think is interesting anyway. Um, but we have traditions, as, as everyone does, as might not be thousands of years old tradition, but we have our own traditions. And um, for many years, we did um, the, the bread and the juice at the front on the first service of every month. And um, we, I, I talked about this for a long time, what it meant to break bread, what it meant to do that, and um, bringing back the importance of it. And... Um, uh, different churches do different things. We now break bread, what we call three times a year, at the feasts. So we will have, it's kind of Jewish, sounds very Jewish tradition, I know. Um, Jesus took Passover, which is one of the Jewish festivals, and that's when he inaugurated um, the breaking of bread. But then he said, do this as often as you eat and drink. So a biblical model, maybe more often than once a month, um, then there's two other Jewish feasts, the harvest festivals in the year. So we do our um, Easter now, which was Passover. We do our summer barbecue and we do an autumn breaking of bread. So we do that slightly differently. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but yeah, um, I don't know if anyone else has some thoughts on that. Yes. Um, in the Bible, uh, you know, when God, the last supper with the disciples... First is to understand what is communion, as Pastor Jazz said, is celebrating Jesus. You know, when you do it, what is in the intent behind communion? In the Acts, in the book of Acts 2.42, it says, the early apostles, they sold everything, they came together, they visited each other's houses, they broke bread together. So communion, in the first service it was mentioned, it's not just having it in the church here, but also within our families, within our circles. When we, when we have our feast in the house, remember to praise God. Remember to celebrate Jesus. And when you have your friends and family around, invite them to break bread with you. And also to celebrate Jesus as you do it. But not just as a ritual. When we try to understand the intent behind communion, 
but not just doing it as a ritual that we have to do it, but to understand why are we having communion? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, personally, and it's interesting, I just listened to a podcast on communion um, from a preacher. Um, I, I kind of do miss it in church a little bit. I haven't said this to Giles, but um, I kind of have missed it. I did, I did like that. Um, but it's absolutely right. I think everything that's been said is absolutely right. I think it can be done in many different ways. The intent is the right thing. We need, we need to be reminding what, what we're doing it and why we're doing it and what it actually means. But um, I don't think you can do communion too often. They did it daily. They broke bread daily. And I think actually mm. maybe even in our cell groups, our home groups, maybe that's a time as well. We should just actually get into that habit. I don't want to get into ritualism and, and all the rest of it, but actually there are some good traditions out there. I think breaking the bread, that, that few moments of quiet reflection on what Christ has done for us, it's, it's both somber but also celebratory. Mm. You know, it's an amazing thing what he's done for us. And I don't think we should forget that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy communion. It's one of my highlights, actually, is the breaking of the bread and, and the drinking of the wine and just that mental headspace just to remind myself. And I, and I value it. So, yeah, I don't think you can do communion too often, but don't make it um, a, a rule. Yeah. I would say on the has it affected unity, I don't think so because I left for Laos two and a bit years ago and this mention of not doing communion anymore is the first I've realized. I haven't noticed that we haven't been doing communion in the church since I've been back, and I've been back for about five months now. Um, because I feel like the unity comes from our relationship together and the fact that we connect with each other because we all have Christ in us. And I've felt a real sense of unity in the church since I've been back, regardless of not doing communion. Interesting. So I, yeah. Yeah, thank I haven't you. noticed. <laughs> Or you just were asleep during the communion, yeah, maybe. Maybe it's because I'm always late. Okay, second part of the question was, um, having removed communion, how are we teaching the younger generation the importance of this practice? I, I suppose listening to everybody who have answered about communion, it's, it's understanding what, if we do understand what it means, then it's easy to teach the younger generation, the children, how to remember and do communion. I did say in the morning, the first service, that if you remember Jesus when he resurrected on the way to Emmaus, he, he came across these two disciples discussing about how Jesus was crucified, died, and buried. And Christ came up with them, and they didn't know who he was until he got to a point where they carried, he was going to carry on. And they said, why not come to us? And they got into the house, and as soon as they broke the bread, the Bible says their eyes were opened. Mm -hmm. So essentially, communion could be done in the church here, amongst 5,000 people or 200 people. It could be done just between two people. So in that essence, we, if we... I think this is good that we're having this discussion because personally, myself, and I hope everybody, we are going to go home remind, remind, reminding ourselves what communion actually means beyond tradition and also how to relate to our children. So if we, like Andy just said, doing it as part of a lifestyle, not a ritual, um, doing it when we break bread at home, whether it's just two of us at home or whether it's with our children or whether in the cell group, 
if we do that, also reminding the children what we are doing in the sense that this is what Christ said we should do. And the children will grow up knowing that when we break bread, when we pray, we're actually doing communion. You see, we pray before we, some people call it the grace. Some people call it different things. That is actually communion. If you really begin to think about what Christ, because that's what he did. I mean, he said, do this in the remembrance of me in the Last Supper. He was like a prayer. It was Christ was saying a prayer, but that was a, during a communion. So that is the way for us to sort of teach our children, the younger generation, what communion is all about. If they understand, it's all about bringing up Christ and what he has done for us when we gather to eat and drink. That is actually communion. Yeah, yeah so um, studying church history, uh, the Eucharist or communion, which is supposed to bring unity and Uh, It's actually been a really divisive issue for centuries. You know, we're not coming into this as uh, blank slates. If if you've been to a different type of traditional church, they'll have a different way of doing things. And when I get together with other ministers, and, you know, we do eat together and we do pray together, but we don't serve the body and blood like we would in a Eucharist or communion. Um, because everyone has a different opinion on what's the right way to do it. Um, so I've been to a Catholic service where I've not been allowed to take communion. Um, I've been to another service. If I was in an Anglican tradition, um, I wouldn't be able to give communion as a, not a licensed, authorized minister. So the debate on um, is it the actual elements that are sacred, is it the person giving the elements that are sacred, um, you study your church history. They've been arguing over this for 2,000 years. Um, so I don't think we're going to quickly resolve a spicy topic like communion, Eucharist. Um, but like these guys have said, if we can remember what it's really about, and actually it is bringing us together, it is important we teach our children and young people. It is important that they know baptism and Eucharist. They're the really two key issues in the church and the Protestant Reformation was all about um, uh, baptism and um, and, and Eucharist and that was four or five hundred years ago Um, so yeah, we're not going to resolve this today that's what I'm going to say Thomas Um, but knowing what it's all about I think from the heart is what's important Cool, and so the last point in that question was will you bring back communion to our services sometime soon? Yes Okay Apart from the breaking of bread, and so this is when I, when we swapped and did the communion differently, I did preach on it and I explained it over many weeks, talking about um, they would feast together. It wouldn't just be a little cracker and a little glass of juice. You know, it's like the Americans. If you've got Thanksgiving meal going on and you're really coming together as as a group as a community, and then I come to your house and you give me a little juice like that and a little wafer. And then say, that's it, we're done with our celebration. I'm like, hmm, yeah, it's not Christmas dinner, you know, although the big turkey or whatever, you know. So when we come together and we eat and we feast together, I really think that's a biblical model. And we do that three times a year. And maybe we should do that more often. Okay. Um, Have a feast, break bread. Good. Thank you, guys.
Okay, so question number two. Do you think our Sunday services currently display our community, family, and individual relationships with God? Why is prayer time generally held in separate meetings or at the back of the church? Is there a way prayer for each other, the community, and current affairs can be incorporated into our Sunday morning giving that is our, found, that it is our foundational way of communicating and having a relationship, whether individually or as a community, with God? So there's three parts there. So the first part, do you think our Sunday services currently display our community, our family, and our individual relationships with God? I'll answer the first bit, because uh, I, where Liz and I came from before we moved to Ely, we were in a middle-class village, and, and uh, yeah, it was 2.4 children and the BMW on the driveway. We didn't have either of those, but anyway, uh, so we, didn't, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't fit in. Um, but uh, one of the things that really attracted me to Lighthouse, well, obviously, it was the, it was the volume of the music, because that's what I first heard. But you know what? It was really the diverse congregation that we have, you know, a congregation of different colours, different nationalities, uh, different uh, economic uh, circumstances, different... It was, just, it was just lovely to see that this was an inclusive church. Yeah. And I don't believe that there's any church out there which is perfect. But when we use the word family, are you talking about me, my wife, and my children in that respect? Or are you talking about the wider body of Christ and other Christians? And I believe this uh, church... Um, is, is, a, is a good example of inclusivity uh, of the family, both be it your natural um, flesh and blood or, or your extended family. Um, I, I think we do family well. Thank you. Yeah, I, be, I believe also what uh, Andy just said. Um, the church is, for me, is a family, is a place. When I come, walk through this, do I feel... Is one body, one Christ. Because as we said in the Holy Com- about communion, you know, we are partakers of the body of Christ. So we are joined here to the throne of heaven with Christ. So I see it as a family, a place you come in and you feel relaxed. And it's, a, it's an inclusive church activity from, for all sets of uh, ages of kids and also families. And also during the week, there's all sorts going around that you can be involved in. Also, in terms of prayer that was mentioned, part of the question, uh, Joseph mentioned in the first service about prayers, that uh, prayer is, we have prayers going on throughout the service, and when Pastor uh, Rose comes up, uh, you know, she has ministration from God, and also during, for me, that singing and that words up there is a prayer, and we sing it back onto Christ. You know, it's just like, there's one song we sang yesterday, and we have been singing it um, for some time in the church, and we say that he's a miracle uh, maker, he's a way maker, he's a miracle God. This is who he, who he is. So when I sing such things, for me, I form it a prayer within me also. So through, through, during the service, there's prayer, there's interlude where you have prayers, and Pastor Jazz will come up and say some prayers, says words of encouragement that we can pray through. And also there are prayers at the back because uh, you find out people who want in a, in a place where they can come and kind of quietly request prayer instead of coming to the front. So, but sometimes you can find out we also have a, a, a circumstances where we have people coming out for prayers in the front. So there is prayer throughout the church service, and also there is an opportunity to, you know, to kind of cater for all needs of people should you want a place secluded to go in and ask for prayer, you know, in that quiet 
place to ask for prayer. Prayer is also there for you. Yeah, brilliant. So I'll, I'll thank you that answered this question. So I'll read that bit out again, then we can go back to the board, uh, go back to the group. So uh, why is prayer time generally held in a separate meeting or at the back of the church? So Constance answered that bit. Um, anyone else got any part to put in that? Yeah, I, I can't say why it's been removed. However, I, I would say, I, personally, I would love to see more prayer together. I, I love it when we pray together in the church. I love it when we raise um, current affairs, worldwide issues, things that really need prayer. And I think there's power in um, unified prayer, kind of coming together to pray together. So as a personal opinion, I would love to see more of that. However, I'm not offended that it doesn't happen. Um, I also think plug into a small group because, um, as I say, I'm not sure why it's been removed from Sundays, but I know certainly at small groups, they're really good times to come together with other members of the church and pray, pray about, pray for each other, pray for the current affairs, pray for the world, Mm. pray for the issues that are on your heart. Missions, yes, missions, come next Sunday, hear a missionary preach. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I think, honestly, because when we do corporate prayer on a Sunday, that's great, but we're only likely to have time to raise a couple of issues. In your small group, you can set aside 15, 20 minutes, however long you want, to bring the issues that are on your heart. You know, if God's placed an issue on your heart to, to pray about, bring it to your, your group. Bring it to your friends. Have a, have a group. If you can't meet as a small group in the evening, I know there are set various people who meet on a Monday morning or meet on Friday afternoon. There are certain groups that meet together because they have a heart to pray. Mm. pray for issues I think it's wonderful to do it in a church but it doesn't take the responsibility away from us to pray and kind of organize and initiate some groups ourselves to bring those issues that God has placed on our heart and really kind of pray about them in more depth with more time yeah yeah I think you guys have all answered the you know the importance of prayer um, the only thing I, I want to add is obviously the question is based on the whoever that wrote the questions was thinking, why are we not having it in the service? I think the answer I want to give is prayer is is the bedrock of a Christian, and we can never minimize the importance of prayer, mm-hmm. and we can never pray. It can never be enough, um, and I think the service only lasts an hour or so. There's so much that has to be packed in in an hour. So prayer is, is key, it's important. And we'll, any opportunity we have, we'll carry on praying. The fact that you know, we pray for people at the back doesn't mean we minimize the importance of prayer. And there's also pre-service prayer that happens 10 minutes past nine every morning. And I can imagine it happens in one of the rooms in the activity block. If there's enough of us that the room cannot contain. I bet we'll move it into here and have the prayer before we start. Um, but the prayer is important. And, and don't be... You see, when Giles is standing up, this is something I also want to say. It just came to me now. See, when Giles stands up to pray in the, mo- in the morning before you start a sermon or after, or when Pastor Rose is speaking a word of prayer before the band or in, during the interlude, it's an opportunity for us to join in mm. and pray. I know there are times, where, there have been few times where somebody started praying and all of a sudden the whole church erupted in prayer. 
and all of a sudden we spent five minutes praying. It was never planned like that. So all I would say is prayer is, is crucial, is important, is the bedrock of what we believe as a Christian. And we still have it at the center of what we do. Um, because that's the way we communicate with God. That's the way we listen to God. And that's where we hear God speak to us. Yeah. We had a wonderful um, awakening last night. Mm-hmm. And um, preacher was calling for people forward for prayer. And, um, and, and some people are comfortable with that. They're comfortable coming forward and there's 100 people watching you. And, and some people won't come forward, although they really want prayer. Or, you know, something's going on. So small groups, all these answers, they're great. Um, I think we had one person come forward for prayer yep. to dedicate their life to the Lord, to devote. That's what it was talking about, devotion. And um, two more I heard about afterwards actually um, didn't come forward, but actually really wanted to make that prayer commitment. Um, you know, but they did that to the side, which is fine. You know, it's fine. And now we have a prayer team with T-shirts and we make space for it. And we, we don't rush the prayer. Um, we used to do it, the, the question was, we used to do it at the front and now we do it at the back. Well, yeah. at the back it's a little bit more private. Um, we also got a prayer team, people that dedicate themselves and they pray before the service, after the service, you know, and they get together um, other times to pray. And then we have a, a, an hour of prayer on a Sunday evening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I see it as not moving it to an hour uh, another time because it's not important. I'd see it the other way around. We need a good hour to pray. And if you know what it means to pray, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, could you not tarry one hour? Could you not pray with me for at least an hour? And they all fell asleep, didn't they? Uh, just when Jesus needed him, the, needed them the most. And I think let's, let's put some proper time into prayer. Let's have that hour of prayer. And uh, so it's the opposite. We're not relegating it to another meeting, we're making some proper time for it. Yeah, giving us yeah. time, good. So the last point of that, which you've actually pretty much covered as well, but is there any way prayer for each other, the community and current affairs can be incorporated into our Sunday morning giving? Um, that is the foundational way of communicating and having a relationship, whether individually or as a community with God. I think, Joseph, I think these guys have answered yeah. that. The prayers are there, you know. They are happening. And I see it in the break time. I see it before the service, after the service. People just sit and pray for each other. That's great. You know, it's, it's there. It's happening. Yes, it could happen more, but like you say, we can't pray enough. I think um, what Julia said about small groups actually is, is crucial. Don't, don't restrict worship, prayer, fellowship to church because it just ruins the rest of your week. Make it daily. Make it with people. Make it weekly um, with different people so you can have time to praise and worship that doesn't have to be restricted to church I think personally that's where the whole division between who God is and what God is has happened because people put church before God it has to be right in church no it has to be right with God so sorry to jump in Um, okay so question number three why does the lighthouse not have a system of membership part one part two Bearing this in mind, where is the process around decision-making, transparency, transparency, and accountability? Okay, so first part, why does the Lighthouse not have a system of membership? Yes, it doesn't. Uh, short answer is that's not how we're set up. 
Um, I've, uh, obviously, I, I chat to other ministers and other churches and look at what it means to be a member. And also reading of Scripture. Um, I think Scripture is really clear that we are members of the body of Christ. You know, mm-hmm. as uh, the picture of a body where everyone comes together as a member. You know, so a hand, a foot, you know, and all that kind of thing. So the imagery, certainly in Scripture, is very clear what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. And I think there is also being a member of the local church. I think there is that um, pattern in Scripture. And different churches have interpreted that in different ways. Um, We've gone with the idea that if you know you belong, you know, you really feel part of it, that is your membership. And someone described it to me like, um, like a Facebook group. There's some groups you can just join because you're really interested and engaged with what's going on. There's some groups that you have to be approved to join and you have to sign up to a list of rules and th- things like that. And um, as, a, as a church, as an organisation, I guess we, um, we kind of decide amongst ourselves what kind of group we want to be. Um, I know some denominations, there's a very strict membership and there's a voting of you in. So there's a, a deciding who can join and who can't. And um, whilst that on one hand sounds quite exclusive, on another hand it kind of sounds like, well, we're really in this together and you know, we're going to fight for each other and we've got your back kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, be- becoming that member, signing on the dotted line and... Some denominations go a little bit further. You put down on the form and your income and your 10% that you give. And I don't know if the church checks on those things. We certainly don't check those things. Um, but to be part of that is, yeah, there's, there's a real commitment and kind of thing involved. And, um, and there's consequences. You know, I was talking to one pastor and I said, have you ever put anyone out of membership? And he goes, well, just the once just the once, and um, they have all these rules, but whether they actually enforce these rules or not is a whole um, uh, another matter. But no, we don't have membership in that formal sense. And when I look at Scripture and I look how Jesus set up his church, he says, I will build my church. I'm the one that's in charge. And that's the way I view it. God is in charge. And, you know, Jesus appointed his disciples. He chose them. He sent them out. Uh, Paul picked up on this in Ephesians where he's saying it's Christ that gave gifts to the church, the apostles, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, and the evangelists for the equipping of the saints or the body to do the work of the ministry. Um, I don't see congregational-led churches in Scripture. I don't see that. Um, Not criticizing anyone's structure or their organization. Um, I see it as we're accountable as leaders to God. Paul makes that really clear, what it, has, what it means to be a leader uh, and his conversations with Timothy and Titus and things like that. So he's correcting lots of things that are going wrong in Corinth and you know, he's putting the leadership in place and making them accountable to God. And I do consider ourselves accountable to God and uh, accountable to one another. You know, we have a pastoral team, um, that I know would call me on things that if they're not happy with, and they would tell me. And I know members of the congregation would come and talk to me if they're not happy about something, and I'll either 
explain why we do things like communion and, and help people understand what we're doing here and why. And um, if I'm in error, then, yeah, then I'm, I'm open to change. I'm open to correction. And uh, if, I'm, if I'm not listening to the likes of these guys and you guys, um, then I have a pastor who I am accountable to, Pastor Robert. And, um, uh, yeah, I've known him since the 80s. Um, and I consider myself accountable to him, and I meet regularly with him and tell, tell him what's going on, what's updating, and things like that. And if it came to it, and I wasn't listening, you would feel you could talk to him and say, what's going on with Giles? You know, why is this off in error? You know, what's going on? Um, but that's never happened. Not that, you know, I'm human, and we are human, and prone to all sorts of errors of judgment. Um, but I also think we have the leadership structure that allows us to uh, decide to do something because it's biblical, because we believe it's the right way. And being led by the Spirit, we can do that. Um, I know one church where there was a big debate whether women should be in leadership. And um, it had to go to the congregation for a vote. And, and I'm like, well, I see it in the Bible. Paul had leaders within his ministry who were women. He had apostles who were women. And I'm thinking, well, why would we not do that? Because the Bible does it. But, you know, that's just me. Um, yeah, so we don't go to the congregation for a big vote on the direction that we believe that we should go for. And um, that, that's not our structure. This is what we do. Um, I don't know. People don't seem unhappy with it. You've been to a church... Yeah, we, we came from a church with membership before, and it used to rattle me because you'd be working all day, and then there'd be meetings, and you'd talk about curtains and stuff like that, which really no interest to me. Um, <laughs> what I would suggest say on that, membership really is a belonging. And if I joined the golf club, I, I would pay my money, but I'd go and play golf as well, and um, you know, or anything. You know, once you, met, you 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 don't just get the piece of paper. Yes, I'm a member. You go and join in. You get involved. And I would just suggest that, um, sorry, you couldn't hear me very well, could you? Sorry. Um, I would just suggest that if you can, if you're able to, try and get involved with the life of the church. Don't just rock up, sit yeah. down and go out. If you can just do something, even just for a season, um, you may have got a very hectic life, so I'm not suggesting you all need to do something all of the time. Uh, church isn't about that, it's about receiving. But it's really good if you're able to, to actually... Um, Get involved in some small way. That's when you really start to connect to the people around you. You really start to become life of the church. So if you're able to, I'd encourage you to do that. I think that's what membership's really about, not just a piece of paper. Yeah, definitely. Just to address the point about um, accountability and decision-making. Oh, yeah. Should I read that question again? That sure. part of the question. Is there any more points about the uh, membership bit? Just a summary to say that uh, being uh, part of Christ, a believer... For me, being a believer, believing in Christ Jesus, you are a member of the church. And as Andy said, getting involved also, you know, affecting life and bringing life to Christ. I believe that makes you a member of yeah. the body of Christ, involvement. Super. Okay, so the second part of that question was, uh, bearing this in mind, where is the process around decision-making, transparency, and accountability? Julia, go. Okay, so I think it's worth mentioning there is a board of trustees. And um, I've been, in, as I say, in the church for many, many years. And I've always felt, um, I've never felt 
that I don't belong because I'm not because um, we don't have membership here. I, it's never been an issue for me. I've always felt that I'm a member of this church, but it's never been a divisive or I'm a member of this church and you're a member of that church. It's just this is this is my home. This is where I belong. Child of the house, as Pastor Robert likes to say. Um, also, I've always felt very secure in the decision-making processes because there is a board of trustees who I trust personally, who I know, who I've got to know, um, and who I've seen over the years make some very difficult decisions. Um, and the members have changed over the years. Some have stayed the same, some have changed. But I've always felt a sense of trust knowing that those people are, are trustworthy people. They're, they're solid in their own relationship with God and that they love us as a congregation. They love us. Mm. You know, they're not making decisions which it's not like a, a business where management sometimes in, in, a, in an organization, they like to kind of pay themselves a bit more, don't they? Or they like to kind of advance their own careers. It's not like that here. You know, there's a sense of that we're all in this together. They love us. They're going to make decisions that they feel are right, that they've prayed about, they've gone to God about, they've talked with each other about, they've sought counsel about. And I think it's really important for us as a congregation, if we're here, if we consider ourselves part of this church to trust, to trust these people who are in leadership over us, trust mm. the people who are trustees, who are making these decisions, because we know their heart is one of love towards us, and most importantly, fear and love towards God. Yeah, um, I think everyone has said everything to be said about membership and accountability. The only thing I want to add is, obviously, Pastor Giles has the, the head shepherd of Lighthouse. Um, I, I've been in Lighthouse for a, a, quite a long time, and um, I, just, I just believe he's got people around him who, who tell him or encourage him about the truth and the direction he, he needs to go. And from my relationship with him, he's, he's the one, he, he's the type that always comes to ask for encouragement or direction. And that has, and like Julia said, we had pastoral team, you have the, uh, trustees, you have people like Pastor Rothbard and a lot of people who are there to guide and direct the church. Um, to ensure accountability. And also what I want to add is whether you're a member of pastoral team or the head of the steward or, or the children ministry, we are all approachable, I would say. And, you know, so when there's an issue, you know, they are there to give an account, to listen, to advise, or to listen to suggestions. And if it's not something... Um, they can do. They will take it up to the pastor because we are also able to go to the pastor and talk to them. So that way, I think the lighthouse is accountable um, to what we do and the activities that goes on here and what we believe and the direction we go. Thank you. Okay, we've got time for one last question. And uh, the question is, it's got three parts. So it's, how important were children's faith songs to you as a child? Which do you remember and draw upon to this day? And then the final part is, how could Lighthouse encourage this spiritual practice for our children within the community? Okay, so first one, uh, how important were faith songs to you as a child? Um, and we'll link it with the second bit. Which do you remember and draw upon to this day? 
Um, if it's all right, I'll just go for a slight tangent at this one because I don't. I'm not singing's not a gift of mine. You can probably tell. <laughs> the children um, have got what it. I will say is that many of you know Jackie and Peter. And uh, if you don't know them, Jackie and Peter were here for a number of years, and uh, they used to do a lot of children's ministry, and they're still doing it, I believe. And uh, I, one of my classes, well, more than one of my classes, but a particular class of mine who made the Bash Street kids look intellectual, um, they were, we got onto the <laughs> subject of church at some point, and then Jackie and Peter, they'd obviously had Jackie and Peter visit their primary school, and within, and I, this, is, this is absolute God's honest truth, they remembered three songs that they'd heard in primary school. And these are the kids who, the, really, I can't imagine they're in church today, but they, saw, they could sing the lyric, the words, to three different songs that Jackie and Peter had taught them. I had this bunch of kids doing construction, and it was amazing. So, uh, and there's a scripture in Proverbs, isn't there? You know, train up your children the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. I believe the word of God is so powerful, so incredibly powerful. Yeah. Whether you deliver it by speaking or by singing it, um, just do it. Just, just the word of God. Um, it's so important. So sing those songs, put them on your music players or whatever, and do believe that words, words are so in- incredibly powerful. I was blown away by that experience, I have to say. Wow. Thank you for that. Uh, also, as a, as a mom and also as a parent, uh, parents, uh, we, the, one of the first uh, CDs we bought for our kids were about praising God. It was one of the first ones we bought for them because uh, I remembered when I was pregnant with Shoma. She really liked, it might sound strange, but she really liked listening to gospel music, which comes out down a lot. So each time we're going to bed, we have to play that gospel music to her. And you need to see how the movement in the tummy looks like. And giving back to them and then them also focusing on playing the song, it does minister to them. In that when they're with other kids, they do sing it to other kids. And other kids do join along. And also when you listen to the lyrics too, I believe it will affect the life of the other kids mm. also. And also, me as a child, it does make a lot of difference. Because in that, your inner subconscious mood, you see, there are times you still see yourself singing those songs. Yeah. Constance she really knows her scripture. You know, if I start quoting a scripture, she can finish the whole lot, you know. So it's been in her for all her life. Um, She's a real inspiration. Thank you. I loved those songs growing up. As a child, in every memory verse was turned into a song. And now if I hear the the scripture, I will sing the song in my head, sometimes out loud, much to the disconcertation of people around me. But um, I, I absolutely loved it. Pardon? For miles around oh, you. miles around, yeah. yeah, yeah, out of tune. But I loved it, and that's same as Constance. It's in me completely, and my mum, she can turn anything into a, a song. And as I say, those scriptures, they're right there, and it helps me remember the um, reference, scripture reference as well, because that was incorporated in the song as well. So I think it's brilliant. And ye- about 10 years ago, Zoe and I, who grew up together here, we, we were... Um, running one of the kids groups, the three to fives. And we said, you know what? What was really important in our Sunday school growing up was these scriptures. So we did it. We just every week, every memory verse turned into a song. We brought in the children's songs that we learned growing up and the kids loved it. Mm -hmm. So my answer to how can we incorporate it would be, if that's your gifting, if that's what you think is really important, if that is what you love to do, and join, join a kids group, not as a, a member, as a leader. <laughs> not as a kid. So, not as a kid. <laughs> but, you know, do it. Because as Andy said, it's not everyone's gifting. 
Some people really struggle with singing, or it's just not, doesn't come naturally to some people. So it may be that a lot of our wonderful kids' workers don't really, it doesn't really come into their thinking when they're planning. But if it comes into yours, get stuck into a group. Yeah, definitely. You know? It, that's what we did. We just, we ran this group for three years, and actually we built a whole program pretty much based around songs, around scriptures. Um, and in, I mean, in Laos, we don't, we don't really have kids' groups that do that, so we do it at home. My mum does it with my girls, so my girls are growing up learning scriptures through song because my mum and I are teaching them. So, you know, I'd say let's do it in our homes. That's how we can affect our community. Our community is our homes, right? And if that's your gifting, if it's your heart, join a kids' group and, and teach it. Brilliant. Thank you. But, um, that is actually our time is up. So uh, let's give these guys a hand and say thank you very much.